Hey everybody, Jeff here, coming to you real quick before this interview. Just want to explain something to you before we get into it. Tonight I'm going to be talking to Will and Sarah Reed, and you're going to see that I actually talked to them individually instead of at the same time. And the reason behind that was we were going to all record together and and have a lovely conversation, all three of us at the same time. But unfortunately, we were running into some mic issues. One of their mics was giving off uh, some kind of hum or hiss. But we found that when they went down to one mic, we were able to have a conversation just fine. So uh, in order to still do the interview and get you guys this wonderful information that they had to share we interviewed separately. So first you'll hear me talk to Will and then Sarah will take over for the second half of the interview. So just wanted to explain that up front and then why that uh, happened the way it did. So now let's have a conversation with Will and Sarah. Welcome to the Game of Crowdfunding Interview Edition, recorded Wednesday, January 21st, 2015. That's right, you haven't caught me sleeping yet. I've remembered 2015 every time I've had to say it so far. Those keeping score at home, though, you're probably going to get points eventually. We are doing another interview. We are going to be talking to somebody that has a project coming to Kickstarter. And uh, this is going to be an interesting conversation because, one, it's somebody I know. Two, it's somebody else I know. And we'll get to that in a minute. And they're working with somebody I'm very familiar with and who wanted to be here tonight as well and, and apparently regrets not joining our conversation. That's right. That's right. I said it. So with all of that wonderful stuff who is joining me on Skype tonight? My name is William Reed, and I'm looking to uh, get Project Dreamscape off the ground on Kickstarter. Uh, should I fill in all the other names that you were very cryptic on? <laughs> yeah, let's go ahead. So Will's joining me for at least the first half of the interview, yes. and then we're probably going to switch over to somebody that people might know from all Yes, my weeks. wife. And a person that Jeff has worked quite a bit with, my wife, Sarah Reed, she's the uh, face of our little duo for designing stuff, mainly because she looks better. <laughs> you know what? I, I'm not going to confirm or deny that. I'm going to confirm it, <laughs> even though I wish to deny it. <laughs> and Ben Haskett, of course, from Undyne, and he is working with Undyne Studios, I should say. Not games, studios. <laughs> Yes. And Ben is working with uh, Will and Sarah to bring Project Dreamscape to Kickstarter. And, of course, Ben's been on the show before. We talked to him about Tower, and now he's going to be working with Will and Sarah. So that is awesome. Yeah, he's part of our local uh, game designer group. So that's how we got to know him. And, and man, do we play test each other's games a lot. <laughs> I mean, a lot. So that actually sounds like a good part of uh, the conversation we'll get into a bit, the playtesting side of things. Mm -hmm. But before we get there, and this feels a little weird, <laughs> because 
Will and I don't talk maybe as much, but I'm very familiar with Will. And, of course, Will and Sarah also provide us with the Lego segment over at the main All Us Geeks as well, the Brick Breakdown. They do a quarterly segment for us. So uh, I love that segment. That's, I know. It's, that's it's, what I listen to it all the time. <laughs> it's on repeat. Yeah. So you're you're the extra plus one we get once a quarter. Nice. Nice. <laughs> You almost, we're almost in double digits because of you, at least once a quarter. Hey, that's good. <laughs> I think we brought it down to three times a year, but then uh, that's partly because the uh, sound technician that we use on our end is overbooked like, well, 120% of the time. And those people who know math know 20% of that is not even real <laughs> time. We're talking about imaginary time he's overbooked when, and so it's it's been a nightmare just trying to get him to nail down a little chunk of time so that we can get that out. We have had people uh, ask when the next one's coming, so that is awesome. People are definitely enjoying that segment. But you know what? We're not here to plug the Lego segment, although, hey, check out the Lego segment on Alice Geeks if that's <laughs> something you're interested in. Plug, plug, plug. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it does kind of lend into some of the warm-up questions I have anyway, Will, since people don't get to hear your voice as much as they have heard probably Sarah's in the past. I'm going to fire the warm-up questions at you. Are you ready? All right. I'll duck. What makes you a geek, sir? Can I have it? No. Can I have it in the form of a question? Um, and No, you did give it in the form of a question. I'd say I am a geek mainly because of the themes that I gravitate towards. Oh, this is kind of funny. I I grew up with Star Wars, watching it, loving it, but I don't really talk about it. So when Imperial Assault, the game from Fantasy Flight, came out at the end of uh, last year, and I actually finally heard about it, I was begging Sarah that we needed to get that game. And she's like, you never talk about Star Wars? It's like, are you serious? I am a man, I am living in the U.S., and I fit their demographics. Why wouldn't I be liking this game? And so, of course, we, we got that. Yeah, and, and Sarah's behind me whispering that uh, she made me into a geek. Because I, I would say before I, I met her, I would play, you know, the occasional role-playing game. Um, I remember... Uh, the two Ultimas that got released for the Nintendo. And so I played those and Final Fantasy. But it wasn't until college when I met Sarah that I even played my first game of Dungeons and Dragons and was introduced to Magic the Gathering. And uh, one of the moments that I like pointing out is she is getting me to play this role-playing game, uh, D&D 3.0, for the first time. And she goes, all right, you got all your characters, you kind of understand how they work, and you meet an orc. I go, ooh, so how strong is that thing? And she goes, it, it's it's an orc. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is, what's it look like? And she, she goes, you know, like an orc. And I was like, but what's an orc? <laughs> so, yeah, my, my geek cred was not at all established. So did the the very next session, did, did you encounter the dreaded gazebo? No, no. <laughs> hey, hey, I might, I might not be familiar with mythical creatures, but I know my general lawn architecture. That's, that is, that is not my problem. Uh, in fact, uh, she was kind of astounded when I think the intro adventure led up to fighting a gelatinous cube. So I looked at it, saw its size, actually wondered how it gotten to such a small room and just, Stood back and took pot shots at it 
from the doorway. <laughs> and she's like, aren't you going in? I'm like, no, this, this is much safer. <laughs> <laughs> so you were not the barbarian is what you're saying. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, I learned quick and, and I didn't play stupid. So yeah, that, that, I guess that also makes me a geek is I, I play smarter, not harder. There you go. All right. And then, uh, I always like to also ask, you know, you can geek out about anything. So do you have any geek level passions for something that the, uh, typical person would not put in the geek category? I would guess Lego would count, wouldn't it? I mean, it's essentially <laughs> to a lot of people a child's toy, but uh, I don't know. People do. It's getting to the point where people are viewing them, especially with the Lego movie, viewing that as a geek out. What can I geek out about? You know, and it is always acceptable to say that all of my geek level passions are, are geek related. We have several people that do that as well. Yeah, because cause Sarah's gotten me into board games. In fact, um, I can out board game her just for, <laughs> it's, she did not like that. But, uh, you know, I, I mean, I can play pretty much anything provided my vision helps. Or it can be worked around, but yeah, there's there's times where uh, you know she's she's talking critically about uh, board games, and she goes, "Yeah, yeah, well, we don't really play uh, we don't really play uh, area control, and eh, we're not a big fan on trick taking and, and set collection, and and I don't really care for auctions." And and then I turn to her and it's like, "You don't really like board games, do you?" <laughs> <laughs> You're checking off a whole lot of mechanics there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, uh, "Do you like?" tokens are components okay with you <laughs> if i presented you with a wooden cube would you sniff at it and think it's beneath you i i don't know <laughs> <laughs> so the last warm-up question besides making games and you can be as general or specific as you would like what do you do for a living sir well my uh Contribution to the All Us Geeks Network gives a big clue. Uh, I am a freelance writer and I work uh, primarily on reviews for Lego sets. So Lego will send me the latest and greatest set and uh, sometimes month or even months before it's even officially released. And I get to lord it over my friends. And if I don't really like it, I could turn around and sell it for a profit. But yeah, I, I I also got uh hired on for a short time writing for the uh those Lego Discovery Centers. They're not the full theme parks, they're the they're their indoor centers where they have a lot of activities. The, the weird thing is they're not officially run by Lego, they're run by Merlin Entertainment. So it was this weird balance of you can write about this geeky topic, but you have to follow all these hidden guidelines that we're not going to tell you about. <laughs> So that was interesting to say the least, but I got to do a lot of research on, on just what people have been building all over the world. I think the craziest thing I found was this guy somewhere in Europe and he took the robotics set and built a boiled egg peeling machine. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that (laughs) needs to happen. I don't know. I mean, it was the, it was the most useless, useless invention I've ever seen, but it was awesome. Did he work for Pee-Hoo-Wee Herman? No, no, no. <laughs> in fact, the guy didn't even speak English. It was actually shared through multiple channels of um, 
fans just passing this around and you know, the, the guy put the egg on this little conveyor belt it went up all these little hammers kind of knocked at it but not hard enough to puncture the egg and then these other hands came and flicked the pieces off and then it came back down and it was peeled <laughs> <All right>. yeah <laughs> let's see where should we start with you will at the beginning yeah let's not go back that far <laughs> when I was just three years old. No, I don't know. You kind of in your in your intro and stuff there. You kind of said that Sarah helped you kind of evolve into the geek that you are today, and and the board game side of things specifically, board game role playing side of things. What did you say? Like from college on? Yes, pretty much from college on. Yeah. I mean, I played chess. I mean, I learned chess when I was five years old from my dad. And I, I had been playing board games from then on, but I didn't really see my first modern board game till college. I didn't see Dungeons and Dragons until college. I didn't, a lot of geek culture stuff that's, that's very prevalent just didn't show up on my radar until college. So from getting into actually starting to, to play all of these more like designer board games and stuff and enjoying that side of things, Where's the switch happen for you to go, you know what? I can design games. I, I want to try my hand at designing games. It actually came as a uh, a gift idea for my wife for her birthday. Before then, uh, during college and our courtship, we, we played, you know, the Munchkin. We played some Flux. We played Magic the Gathering and, and the usual suspects. And after we were married, we had... Uh, not been playing some of those games recently and i was just thinking back to uh, the time when we were dating and, and thinking it would be a, a very sentimental gesture to just try to come up with a game and surprise her with it so uh, i did a little search and found the game crafter and i took one look at what it took and i go i am over my head <laughs> but I also saw it as a challenge, and I didn't f ever feel that the ability to make a game was beyond me. It's just I knew, based on my own limitations, that I needed help. So scrapping the whole birthday present idea, I just presented it to Sarah, and I go, I wanted to make a game for you as a gift. It's too hard, but I still want to make a game. So then she did her research and just the sheer amount of work she puts into her research started unveiling all these designer games that we just hadn't even heard of. I mean, at the most, we've got, I think it was Runebound and Munchkin, and, and we had collected that quite a bit. But we started finding local stores in our area that had game walls that you could try out. Sarah found Kickstarter and fell in love with it. And uh, <laughs> never heard of it. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> it's a unique crowdfunding platform, I, I guess you could call it. Yeah, I, it, you do a search, you could find it. But yeah, it was it was through that whole I want to make a gift for my wife that that spark came about and ever since then we've just been refining and refining and refining because of course my first idea was a roll and move game of and course yeah yeah <laughs> because i mean that's that's what you're used to yeah you play clue you play monopoly you play life and it's it's well in the case of life you spin but it's still essentially roll move 
roll, move, see what happens. And, and so that was like one of my original ideas. And, and since then we, we've shelled it, of course, since, yeah, it was a bad design. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've just been, uh, playing more and more, seeing what's out there and using what we learn to refine our skills as a, as a designing team. So was it actually that really fueled you guys to kind of continue into it? Cause you know, originally you were like, I wanted to make a present and then you guys started kind of working together and just kind of somewhat jumping ahead. I mean, I know you guys have done like the game crafter contests and stuff like right. that. So this is something that kind of you guys started working together and it stuck and you wanted to continue on and continue to get serious with it as a, as a craft. I think when it actually turned from fun activity we could do together to actual craft was our local store. We got to know the owner and he finally told us one day, he goes, why don't you guys talk with some of the other designers? And we're like, what, what, what? <laughs> <laughs> what for did you say? And he had commented that, yeah, he, he has a lot of other local designers that come into the shop and they would talk to him about this. And he goes, you guys could just get together and, you know, discuss. <laughs> and, and that's when I think our eyes were open to, whoa, this is actually something we can pursue and, you know, just be out there. And that's how we met Ben. We've also uh, met uh, Greg, who did uh, Dragoncaster. Uh, we met uh, Brian Hank, who did uh, Good Cop, Bad Cop, mm-hmm. who's who's also actually about ready to launch his Kickstarter. I think as of this recording tomorrow, the 22nd. We also met Brian Reese, who's one of the lead designers from AEG for their L5R collectible card game. I mean, we were just surprised the number of people and the quality of designers that we could meet just in our local area. Yeah, that that has got to be an awesome feeling because there's, I always talk about like the Protospiel events and of course you guys have more or less unpub events more often I think than anybody has Protospiels out there. But people are traveling and, and making plans because they get this one very focused weekend and they plan for it, you know, all year and, and maybe they attend multiple events, but it's one of those, we're traveling, we're, you know, getting hotel rooms where, where it's an event where yes. you guys actually have a very nice local niche group there that you guys can get together from time to time and, and really gas, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, month to month. <laughs> We'll sit down and if someone has been really pushing their stuff, like maybe they're getting ready to launch on Kickstarter, maybe a focus is heavily on there, but we, we don't leave anyone out. We talk about mechanisms. We look at what's there. We comment on the theme. We say what we like, what we don't like. We support one another. If someone's going up on Kickstarter, everyone gets on the bad wagon and tries to connect in with whatever audience they've established and it's been really reaffirming in terms of you not only can do this, but you can really succeed at doing this. And yeah, it, it's just been a blast every single month. So going from, well, your whole journey into leading up to Project Dreamscape, what have you kind of learned or what, what have you incorporated in for you guys as far as a design process? Do you have certain steps that you always want to follow with every game or 
Does it just depend on buy the game? <laughs> if you had asked me this question before I came up with a design for Project Dreamscape, I would have said I had a, a unique process that I work through every single time. Project Dreamscape broke that mold <laughs> in that uh, normally I would uh, I would approach it from theme and you know try to build a theme that I really want to see. Project Dreamscape happened to be I was tired of playtesting one game that I thought was going to be really big. And I just wanted a break. I wanted a small game, just something that I could crank out. We'd have fun with it, shelve it, whatever. It didn't even matter what what happened to the game. And to do so, I had a few mechanisms in mind. So I actually built this one up from the mechanisms. And then when I got to a point where I was like, this is interesting. That's when I kicked back onto my original process of, okay, what theme works? What theme works? And nothing was coming to me. And so Project Dreamscape has been nothing but a lot of I wasn't expecting it to do as well as it was. And like, for example, the theme we finally chose on, I think I came up with a game like in two hours. And since its original inception, it's had a few minor tweaks, but essentially it's still the same game I came up with late at night in two hours. And when I came up with the theme, even I was thinking, okay, okay, what's something everyone can relate to? fantasy no some people don't like that because they like sci-fi okay sci-fi no some people like fantasy okay zombies Eh, it's kind of overdone okay pirates Eh, there's people with problems with that and i just kept going over it's like and then finally i was like i'm doing this wrong what do i want and of course late at night i'm tired i want sleep and i was like hey sleep sleep what's interesting about sleep dreaming yeah yeah so, of course, this sounds ridiculously good so late at night. Fortunately, it turned out to be ridiculously good when I actually had a full eight hours of sleep. But yeah, it, it was like going back to those hierarchy of needs and what do I want? What do I need? And, and it turns out that it's it's a rather interesting theme that I've seen so far one game. I think Onorim deals with a dreamlike world. And Ben brought it up to us, and we played it, and I was like, mm, it's a game. But it doesn't address the theme. It's kind of like uses the theme as a backdrop, but you can virtually use anything. So once I had the theme in mind, I, I wanted to start coming up with concepts that are strictly, strictly sleep-related. So I started coming up with, okay, we need two stacks. Because... uh Going back up just a little bit, uh, I had learned a lot about balanced sleeping because uh, my wife was taking this course and uh, one of the uh, subjects was sleeping. And so we found out about deep sleep and we found about REM sleep, basically dreaming and the time in which your body just repairs itself. And so I started bringing those concepts in and and then I was like, okay, we need player interaction. So a shared dreamscape and yeah, it, it was a lot of very organic, very non-procedural creation that just kind of flowed out. And it's like lightning in a bottle. I wish I could duplicate that every single time, but I know I will, will not have any chance of doing that. <laughs> so, you know, one of the questions I really want to want to ask you is because I don't necessarily talk to a ton of people so far that are in this situation, but do you have any processes built around or maybe not even going as far as processes, but what's it like for you guys to kind of design in a partnership? You know, what, what's the, the give take or 
uh, who does what kind of thing. Do you guys have those kind of roles? Yes, we definitely have those roles. Right from the get-go, Sarah realizes that when it comes to game mechanics, she might have an interesting thought, but she doesn't have the confidence to big picture the whole thing and how does it map and how does it balance with this and this and this. So she pretty much told me, when it comes to mechanisms, that's your job. You come up with that. And so I like, okay. So she's also the one that, though, in our, our collaborative process that sees my first drafts because I do not and will not ever go to like any of the design meetings that I talked about and show up with a first draft of a game because uh, that's, that's something that would give me nightmares and paranoia and all sorts of things. <laughs> But I feel safe enough with her to badmouth my designs. And, and that way I'm only hearing it from one person and I trust her opinion in that way. And so once we get to, to that stage, then I will have probably built in a theme and then we also work together to refine it. So we'll bring up issues of what do you think about this? And it's like, yeah, that has room in the game, but it doesn't really address these design goals or i bring up what about this and then she's like yeah but that's that's a whole lot of math <laughs> like you should have seen the uh first draft of project dreamscape scoring mechanism i think you had to have a a early course in algebra <laughs> to generally grasp the understanding of what was going on thankfully that is so gone <laughs> you know we talked well, I mean, we, we've talked a bit about your process and it might be a little bit redundant. It's obvious that you've got a nice group that you can go to, but do you have anything that you guys are looking for when you go through the playtesting process? Absolutely. In fact, we discuss ahead of time and, and sorry in case of any of the other designers who are hearing this, but we have certain people in the group that we say we need to play it in front of them to look for this. And we need to play it in front of that person to look for this. And that makes our, when we actually do the play testing, really focused because now we understand, well, I mean, we've had enough time to work with these people that we understand what their strengths are. So essentially, we're actually trying to set ourselves up to pull the best information from the best sources. And do you go in, I mean, when you guys meet, is it like, do you guys set up ahead of time when you're talking? You're like, okay, you know, at this point, we don't want to know anything about art. We're looking for this. Or, or do you guys have those kind of conversations before you play? Or is it just whatever feedback comes out of playing because you are primarily playing with designers you, you take? Yeah, because of the designers and how we know them, we don't want to ever prompt them to start thinking about something because we know that might actually ruin the experience. So we like it to naturally evolve. Of course, as we finish a game, that's when we've chosen the time to hammer in, okay, what did you think about this? What did you think about this? And sometimes we'll actually have scripted out topics that Sarah and I have, have talked about ahead of time, but we try not to put that uh, basically the cart before the horse. And uh, we, we feel that it works better so that they have a non-biased opinion so that when we ask the question, they then reflect on what they just played and see if 
it was noticeable or or if they had any opinion on that from that perspective. Real quick, maybe before we kind of switch over and start talking about the project specifically, and like I said, I, I believe that's the point where we're going to start talking to Sarah. Yes. <laughs> How about just a little bit of the upfront on... You know, you guys getting together with Ben and signing with Ben, because the best of my knowledge, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you guys have kind of almost been doing some of the self-publishing route. I mean, I know you've got some things up on the Game Crafter. I don't know if, have you guys always been actively seeking publishers? If we feel strongly about a game and Sarah sees the opportunity, I mean, we may pitch an idea or two. I mean, we've we've talked with guys at AEG about one game we had, and they gave really good feedback, which we, we were actually surprised on. We talked to Michael Cole from Gameland Games, We've talked to, I think, Patrick from Crash Games, but we've only really talked to them when they made some sort of noise about, I'm kind of looking for something. Oh, uh, what was it? Level 99? They did that short contest where they then pub, they did a Kickstarter for like six small games, uh, like we entered into that and, and things like that. As it came with Ben, he's just always been one person we've, really wanted to work with. And so after he was done with Baldrick's Tomb and then he wanted to make uh, something under his own label, Undyne Studios, with Tower, we were all over just trying to help him. In fact, now that the uh, game's getting actually shipping out, if you look in the instruction manual, I'm actually credited as the main uh, story writer for Tower because I, I wrote a lot of the, uh, yeah, the humorous backstory. Yep, I remember that. Yeah. And yeah, it was, it was from that relationship just work. And I mean, we play tested the crap out of tower and it was always a really nice feedback going back and forth where we said, Ben, I don't know. This is shifty. And, uh, so he's like, okay, what, oh guys, what, what, what do you suggest? And, and, you know, we, we always kept it very positive, but, uh, we really helped him with that game and he was interested in, in our stuff. And it actually came about that we wanted to publish a game called Bolt with him and realized it was going to take a ton of artwork, which would just really jack with the price and, and timing of getting it out there. And it was uh, during uh, one of the breaks of the uh, prototyping that uh, we threw up Project Dreamscape, the the one that I just wanted to get done with real quick and he absolutely fell in love with it and just straight out told us we're putting this up on kickstarter next year (laughs) and we said okay (laughs) and from then on out we've just been working he's basically our campaign manager and i always I, i want to see him succeed so i told him no matter what the game is i want undyne studios to be a label that people can see and they'll like the games that are coming out of it and it it was going to be a toss-up between our game project dreamscape and uh, a game that he's still working on called oaxaca and just from the play testing somehow project dreamscape was just so much further along and he said okay we're shelving Oaxaca. It'll get out there when it's ready. But Project Dreamscape is our number one priority. And we just said, 
okay because <laughs> we 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 like his business sense i mean you look at his risk and reward sections and he'll write like three paragraphs of stuff he's very open about what he does he makes no excuses of or is hidden behind any information which you know minimal information he wears his heart on his sleeve and that's someone that we wanted to and are willing to work with 100 percent of the time yeah i i love ben ben's a great guy and i always enjoy anytime i get to have conversations with him since he is in and out of the game crafter and and of course on facebook as well and stuff and oh you're right he's just a genuine guy Oh, I, I, I do want to tell you this one quick anecdote and, and it actually relates to you specifically. Oh, crap. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> it, it, it's funny because, okay, you have, you have an interesting sense of humor, especially when you just see your written words. <laughs> and I may have to pull the plug on this antidote. <laughs> oh, okay. No, no, no. It, 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 it's fine. It's, it's funny. Okay. So, uh, we were getting a review copy out to you and Ben wanted to ask, you know, how much time do you need to review? And I think your comment was like, do you really want me to answer that? <laughs> you don't know how much that freaked Ben out. <laughs> he was actually considered, okay, we're going to need to push back the date of this. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? And, you know, he, he read the comments. I was like, no, I, I think that's just, you know, Jeff being Jeff. <laughs> and, and he was like, are you certain? Cause I don't want to offend him. I don't want to get on his bad side. I want to make sure that, you know, he's, he's, he's happy with this experience because I plan to, you know, do other games and I want to still work with him. I was like, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure that's just Jeff, you know, <laughs> but he, he holds your opinion and what you say to heart to the nth degree so you ha you have an extreme power over over ben i will have to keep that one in my back pocket then <laughs> no yeah it, i i remember that because it was obviously i know you guys and and i know ben so it was it was something i wanted to fit in my schedule but him asking i didn't have the heart at the time to kind of tell him yeah you're well within my rush review area yeah. so uh, and yeah. so, yeah, I remember making that comment and just kind of, I believe I put my smiley face at the end of that one, which most people give me crap about because I don't, I use brackets instead of a, a, a smooth parenthesis. Yes. I think he even commented on that. He's like, okay, this is not even a normal smiley face. What does this mean? So if you really just want to freak Ben out, just, just put a random symbol <laughs> as a response to him. He's like, Jeff sent me an asterisk. What does that mean? Yeah, I think, I think it might have been today or yesterday. I was giving him a little bit of crap because he was, he was in the game crafter chat and he said something and I basically chimed in with, yeah, Ben's way too good to hang out with me anymore. He sends, he sends other people to talk to me now. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> oh, I think he lost some sleep over that. Uh, yeah, like, but like I said, he's, he's a great guy and, and, uh, I, th I think it's awesome that you guys are working with him. And so I got, I, I did come up with one more cause while you were talking, something popped in my head. How was that feeling for you guys that first time? I mean, you, you know, I know you, you know, Ben and you've been working with Ben and you've play tested a lot of stuff with Ben, but for him to step up and say, you know what? I want to take your game. And put it on Kickstarter. How was that feeling for you guys? It was literally a shock because Ben has the ability to, to be very enthusiastic 
at times, but it's not overdone. Yeah, I mean, he he does he's not overly enthusiastic about everything. I mean, he will freak out about certain things, but <laughs> when he's genuinely excited really excited about the game it's very noticeable and it was that response that we got when we showed him project dreamscape and and it wasn't even the first turn of the game it was like the third turn in and he like looked up he stood up he smiled and he goes i get it (laughs) this needs to go on kickstarter (laughs) And, and, and of course sarah's there still taking notes and I'm sitting there, you know, watching the game plan. We're like, what? Because <laughs> um, up to this point, we had been doing just tons of conversations about another game. And, and just for him to have this reaction was so like, I'm okay. I, <laughs> yeah, why not? And his enthusiasm was just infectious. So I think it's going to really sink in once the Kickstarter goes live and this turns real for us to to yeah. say wait a minute what 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 did ben talk us into <laughs> awesome yeah it's it's going to be an interesting time to be on the other side of of the kickstarter process yes uh, <laughs> i choose project dreamscape as my pick yeah. for speaking of uh, i believe this is a good time for us to uh switch over and have sarah come on and, and tell us more about the game and, and some of the kickstarter process stuff all right, here she is in one moment. Hello. Hey, Sarah. How's it going? Pretty good. How the heck are you? I'm doing really good. That's awesome. Okay, so I believe it's my turn to go first, and I'm picking... <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, um, I say it off and on, and before we, we get into this, uh, I'll just say it here again. You know, Sarah and I do have the occasional conversation of... We do not want to abandon draft picks. <laughs> that yeah, really, we, really want to do it. Yeah, it's it's more of the timing thing, and it's more my timing thing. Uh, I will at, at this point, I will put it completely on me. There, there were times both Sarah and I had various things going on, but right now it's it's really me. And if anybody is wondering, because you know it's like, hey, but you just started a new podcast with those game crafter guys. <laughs> it's because I pretty much just show up. The part I, I'm having issue with right now is I don't have research time. I have recording time that I could still do, but it, it doesn't do Sarah and I any good if I can't actually look at Kickstarter. <laughs> right. <laughs> but one of these days, one of these days, we'll get back to it. Yeah. So again, solely on me, my job has gone completely nuts and my research time is completely out the window. Yeah. All right. Now that that's, now that ugly business is out of the way. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and I put blame where it firmly belongs. <laughs> let's go ahead and talk about Project Dreamscape specifically. And let's start with uh, what is your guys' elevator pitch for this game? Ooh, elevator pitch. Project Dreamscape is a set collection game unlike any you have ever played because we don't like set collection games, but we like this one. It. You might be a little biased, though. I might be a little biased. (laughs) That's very true. What it was is in Project Dreamscape, it's a set collection game that is not only thematic, 
but it's engaging the whole way through because it's not just collect some cards and put them in a pile. It's collect some cards in a stack and then you have to pay attention to that stack through the whole game because you can manipulate and change things throughout the whole game. So by the end of the game, you want cards in a certain order within your stack. So it's not just set collection, it's the sequencing that is very important for scoring high at the end of the game. All right, so give me a little uh, explanation here. On, I'm looking at the cards right here in my hand, Ooh. and uh, I have not had a chance to play it yet. I have not even gone through all of the rules yet, but I will be doing a video here soon, so that is very high on my list here. But I'm very curious about the double-sided cards or yes. the uh, the not necessarily double-sided. What, what what's a better term here? There's two different choices. So right. there's it's a a split card. There you go. Split card. Split, yeah. Yes. There's one ability on one side and a different ability on the other side. Well, one of the things that was very important to Will and it's important to me too is meaningful choice. We are really big on playing games that have choices. And to have a meaningful choice, that means you actually have to have a at least two choices. But we wanted to keep this still a more, I wouldn't call it simple, but small game. So each card has two choices. So when you take it and put it into your stack, you're partially focused on getting cards in, in an order that has the same symbol, but you get to choose which ability you activate for the effect. So you could be actually chaining one side of the cards and not actually using that ability, but using the ability on the other side to manipulate the outcome in your favor. That's one of the things that I really like in a card game. In fact, one of the videos I need to put out here shortly when I did Forged in Steel, mm-hmm. that was one of the things that I pointed out that I really liked about the, the card choices in there because cards have multiple things that they're used for and you have to choose what they're, what, what use you're using it for. And I really like that in a game. And it also kind of lends itself pretty well to, you know, kind of being replayable because maybe next time you pick the other choice or, yes. you know, that kind of thing. So as soon as I saw that, I was like, okay, I got to ask, uh, uh, going in here, what, what's going on with the double sided cards? Cause that looks cool. Yes. Well, I admit it does look really cool. It's very functional too, because the different abilities are matched up. It's an even spread, but because cards are random, you'll never get the same. The cards will never come up the same way. So every game you do have to respond to the situation at hand. However, each ability does lend itself to certain play styles. So we've seen, and and even for myself when I play, people do gravitate towards a, a certain like maybe one or two abilities that they'll look for because it fits their play style. How's it feeling for you? I know it, it's still not 100% real maybe yet. I mean, <laughs> but how, how does it feel for you to now know you're going into the other side of Kickstarter. I mean, you've spent so much time, you know, <laughs> yeah. outside looking in, if you will. So now, yes. now you have the potential to be on somebody else's podcast or vidcast as a pick or a topic of discussion because of a game that you and Will have worked on together. What do you think of that? I'm just, I'm over the moon. I mean, there's some bad things going on in my life, but All I need to do is think about Project Dreamscape going on Kickstarter, and I am just ecstatic. (laughs) I mean, 
nothing can keep me down, no no work stress, no health stress or anything like that. It's just the idea. I mean, this is what Will and I have worked for is just we want to see people play our game. We don't care how many copies. We don't, you know, need to be the next big thing. I'm just excited to see it fund and to hear people playing our game and hopefully some of them will enjoy it. That's what really motivates me in whenever I talk to somebody about it. I'm just, I just want to bring joy to people. I know it sounds kind of corny, but <laughs> I, I just, you know, hold the whole play games and have fun. And, and the fact that something I helped make is making people happy. It just makes my day. It makes my whole, I don't know, life. It's just, it's, it's this awesome feeling. All right. Well, you know, I, I would only call it corny if I didn't already know you, Sarah. And, and, <laughs> and by that, I mean, if it was somebody coming out of the blue and, and kind of somewhat saying it as a, a line they think people want to hear. Mm-hmm. But I'm fully aware, and actually a lot of people are fully aware of how you interact with the gaming community, some of the stuff that you guys have done, like the 10 by 10 challenge mm-hmm. and, and different things that you've done to interact and engage the community. So how does that kind of factor into to what's going on with the Kickstarter at all? Well, I mean, just... I mean, I'll never recommend to somebody that you should go out and make friends just so they'll back your Kickstarter. I mean, that's a horrible way to approach it. But I'm fortunate that I've made friends in the first place and they're very interested in what I do. Gee, some of them ask me for my opinion, which I just blows my mind. I'm like, I'm just a person. I'm just a gamer. I'm very humbled that you want to know my opinion on this game or that game, but I'll, I'll give it to you. And whatever advice, whatever help I can give, I'm there. And I think my personality just goes, I don't know, goes a long way towards people then being interested in what I'm doing. So I've had nothing but positive feedback. I mean, I chat a lot on Board Game Geeks with the ladies in the Women in Gaming forum, and we have this chat thread. And every time I talk about Project Dreamscape, I say, you know, look, ladies, I don't mean to gush about this. If you want me to stop talking about this, just tell me to shut up. I just, I can't help not talking about it, but I'll try if you're tired of me. And they give me nothing but support, which is just, it's amazing to me. It's just, I don't know, like I said, very heartwarming. It makes me feel very humbled, but it also gives me this confidence that these people do care. And and sure, all the people I talk to, maybe not every single one's going to back. Maybe most of them won't back. But the fact that they'll talk about it and share. And like you know, with crowdfunding, the biggest thing is you need to bring the crowd. And that's not always in terms of backers, but people talking about the project. Because for everyone who talks, I mean, you know, they'll talk and tell somebody else and then it'll spread. And that's my hope is that the game will just get out there to people who are interested. So, I mean, I tell some of my coworkers, I know they're not interested, but I know that maybe their kids are interested or they have a cousin who likes to play games. And so I tell them and they share because like I said, again, it's just getting this game out in front of other people to have fun. And I think I might've deviated from your original question, but (laughs) (laughs) no, you're, you're, you're good. And, and I actually, I think you hit on a very valid point that through many interviews and, and many conversations that even you and I have had, we've tried to drive home or I've tried to drive home, but you've kind of just showed it in practice. And, and that is be a part of the community yeah, and be very active in the community and, and the community will, will give back, but don't go out there with the game plan in, in mind that, Hey, I, I'll, uh, I'll put in my time for a month. Right. And once this month is over, then they all owe me or something, you know, it's, 
It's be genuinely yeah. involved in the community and build your community around you. And the way you build that community around you is being genuine and being passionate and, and being honest about your likes and dislikes and all that good stuff and getting people involved with what you've got going on. Like I said, you guys did that great 10 by 10 challenge that really blew up. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> loved that. And, and it was just yeah. one of those things where you guys were like, Hey, you know, let's all play more games <laughs> kind yeah, of thing. Exactly. I think that's awesome. And I think it's almost a perfect snapshot of that thing that, you know, we, we talk about all the time. You've done it in practice because Really, your overall involvement had nothing to do with Kickstarter to begin with. Right. I was a gamer first. Like, well, I would hope most game designers are gamers first, but that's, that's another topic. But yeah, I'm a gamer. I went on BGG. I wanted to find other people to talk to. And like you said, I just got involved. I formed relationships and it wasn't till, well, I mean, it wasn't till like December. It was November, December that there was even this possibility of we could be on Kickstarter. Cause up till now it's been like, Oh, we'll make some games, have our game design group play test, but we don't really have the skills to do art or to run a business or Kickstarter. So we'll probably put it up on Game Crafter and then we'll move on to the next project. But it was never about, I'm going to go make lots of friends, or <coughs> friends in quotes, just so that they'll back my Kickstarter because Kickstarter was never in my mind in terms of me having our product on Kickstarter. I never imagined it would happen. So, I mean, I'm ecstatic that it is, but it, yeah, it's just, it's not the end goal. The end goal always is, I want to be a friend to whoever wants me as a friend and I'll do my best to engage in conversation. I'll do my best to help where I can and just generally try to be a positive person because there's certainly enough negativity in the world. Like I said, just let's have fun here. And again, the uh, even pointing back to how you ever got involved with All Us Geeks, it, it was yeah. you being a listener and engaging us and me uh, yeah. and, and you and I having conversations back and forth and then when it came time to, you know, have the extra segments like the Lego segment or to do the draft pick stuff, it was, Hey, you know, I know Sarah's interested in this and she's been very active, engaged and, and she likes to have these conversations. I'm going to reach out to her. And it was, again, it wasn't right. you trying to be a part of the podcast at all. It was, yeah. it was you just hanging out and having fun with us. <laughs> Right. I wasn't trying to weasel my way onto the show. I'm like, okay, I know exactly <laughs> how I can be a podcaster. And it'd be so easy. No, it was like, hey, this is a really cool show. I'm listening to it when I can. And let's engage. Let's talk about this because this is really cool. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, uh, definitely your personality overall. And, and mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's working for you. Yes. So you guys, I'm assuming are fairly active in the, uh, in the lead up here to the launch, mm -hmm. have you, as somebody, again, as somebody that's, that's done a lot of looking from the outside and studying different things, being on the other side and kind of working with Ben, has anything kind of surprised or shocked you about the process so far? Just the reaffirmation of how much, how many details there are and how easy it is to forget one. It's building this Kickstarter page. We've been working on it for weeks and I'm sure it'll still be, I don't know, a couple more weeks as the time of this recording that it before it goes up because it's just like every time something goes up, we're like, okay, wait, we can't forget about this. Oh, and don't forget about that. So it it's 
the devil is in the details. I mean, I knew that before, but it really takes the experience of it. And I guess because I know so much about what makes a good Kickstarter and what makes a bad Kickstarter, it just constantly goes through my head. I'm like, okay, wait, I got to remember to tell Ben we should do this, but we shouldn't do that. Okay, wait, did I talk to him about this? I mean, sometimes it's the last thought I have before I go to sleep at night because it's just, it's so prevalent in my mind that I know we only have one shot to make a good first impression and I want to make the best one that we can. So short of getting like paranoid about it, it, it's just, it's, it's something we constantly, I mean, we're on daily phone calls with Ben now almost and we communicate over Facebook and it, it's just a constant continual process and I reiterates to me how I can't believe that some people just throw up a Kickstarter page without really thinking about it, but then it makes sense when they don't fund. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and we've seen plenty of those. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Do you have a rough idea when you think you're going to be launching? Right now, our date is February 16th. Assuming nothing goes wrong, like <laughs> really wrong, we're going to launch February 16th, 2015, for anyone who might be listening to this in the future. <laughs> yeah, see, hey, have you ever podcast before? Mm. <laughs> Where did you pick up that lesson? <laughs> I have no idea. Do I pod? I don't know. Have I podcasted? I should go listen. <laughs> so that's what we're aiming for. And all of us feel really confident right now that we're going to make that launch date. Um, we are starting to tell people. And then as soon as we can, we'll also share the preview link because one of the other main things I have learned, share the Kickstarter preview link. Do not hoard that. Do not keep it secret. You need all the eyes you can to look at it for two reasons. One, they'll give you feedback on what's good and what's bad, and you really need to know what's bad so you can fix it. And two, they see it, so they know it's coming. So they'll tell other people that it's coming. So it's like this wonderful combination of advertising and this free feedback to make it better. Yep. And, and again, it's, you know, the, the nice thing, Kickstarter made that wonderful change a while back, so they got that. Awesome. Remind me on launch yep. button, which is great. And of course, yep. you know, and, and you kind of touched on that too is, you know, it's not only the free advertising side of things, but once you start, once people start giving feedback and, and they're looking at it and they're checking it out and maybe you come back and go, okay, Hey guys, we, we made some more changes. Go check it out again. You're basically empowering your audience. You're, you're, you're get, yes. you know, they, they help own it with you now. Exactly. They see the changes that, that they've talked about and, and things coming along. And, and suddenly it's like, let's get our project going. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's your initial opportunity to engage your backers or your potential backers. And even if half those people who give you feedback never back it, they've still helped you. And it's, it's, it's a great process. And yeah, you hope they will back it, but it does. It engages them. It gives them a sense of, Hey, this person actually listens. I mean, that's one of the worst feelings I've ever had is somebody asked me, Hey, take a look at my Kickstarter preview. And I'm like, okay, I like to help. I give them all this feedback and then they respond with, Oh, well, I kind of like it the way it is. So I, I'm not going to make any changes. And I'm like, well, why did you ask me in the first place? I mean, the whole point is to make it better. So don't ask for people's opinions if you don't think it'd be better. Yeah. I, I've done that. It's yeah. When, when somebody is just sharing it because they, they think it's the marketing side of things. And, right. And once, you, once you start actually offer, it's like, Oh, you, I, you, you know, I'm the same way. Oh, I genuinely want to help. Yeah. Let me go take a look if I've got time. And once you start going down that rabbit hole of them 
arguing away everything you tell them. And, and, exactly. and, and even I've even had it go as far as people telling me why I'm so wrong, which mm-hmm. by the way, um, those projects never actually funded. Um, no. <laughs> but I, and, and you know, and I, I'm not the end all be all by any means. And there's, a, oh, no. you know, a lot of things are guidelines and, and they're not yep. the same for every single project, but there are some pretty primary things that you can kind of focus in on. And if you're not taking the feedback, yeah, don't ask for it. Exactly. <laughs> I I hate that because I will clam up fast if somebody starts arguing with me real quick. It's like, yeah. well, you asked. This is what I have to say. And I wish you well. <laughs> yep. Exactly. All right. We're getting we're getting down towards the end here. So let me go ahead and, and ask you uh, this question that I've been asking a lot lately. You know, somebody is checking out Project Dreamscape on Kickstarter after it launches and they're on the fence. They're like, I think I might like this game. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. What are a couple things that you would tell them to make them go, you know what, Sarah, you're absolutely right. I have to back this right now. Well, one thing I would say is the price point. We're trying to make sure to keep it affordable so that if you're not sure, but you think it's a good game, you can take a chance because you won't be out too much money. I think we're trying for um, $16, I think, which I, I feel is pretty reasonable for a small game. Otherwise, I'd actually just reiterate what it's about. It, it is a thinky, short game with some beautiful art. It can be played casually. So if you're not sure about the thinky elements, you can play it casually and not worry too much. But if you really want a, a brain burner, it can be played at that level too. So it has a wide variety of who you play it with. And that actually is partially dependent on the number of players. So if you play with two players, it can be a more intense tactical game because each player will see more of the cards. Where if you play with four players, it's more casual because each player will see fewer of the cards. So there's less tactical. It's a little bit more chaotic elements to that. Otherwise, generally, I'd say make sure to watch one of the videos or read one of the reviews to help you decide. And you kind of mentioned it there, but just to reiterate, so it's a is it a two to four player game then? Is that the spread? It is actually a one to four player games. We we have developed solo rules and this might surprise people, but I actually prefer the game solo. Now, granted, I am not a solo player, but what I get out of the solo play is a highly strategic tactical challenge that really makes me think. And uh, because unfortunately we couldn't come up with an AI. So it is the solo game where you play to beat your highest score, but it's a short game. I mean, it's even shorter when you're playing it on your own than when you play with multiple players. And there's a few tweaks to how some of the abilities work since they're not the same as uh, when you're playing with other players. But we've got a guy, David, who's been helping us really help playtest the solo rules. And he is mainly a solo player and he's been highly enjoying it. So that's working out really well. And you said it's a a relatively short game. Uh, What's the time looking like on on playing a game of Project Dreamscape? Most games will be 30 minutes. The deck is the timer. So when you run out of cards, the game is over and most games end between the 25 to 30 minute mark. We haven't had too many that go over, but some do. And then we've found that it can be even shorter. Solo play, most of my games on solo play are about 15 to 20 minutes. Oh, there you go. And again, you guys are looking for uh, hopefully launching on February 16th, you said, 2015? Yes, Yes, we are. So there you go, everybody. Project Dreamscape will come out from Undying Studios and, of course, created by 
our wonderful guests, Will <laughs> and Sarah Reed, today. And they are looking at February 16th, 2015 as a launch. Again, uh, I will be doing a review for this, so I believe we're looking at an initial impressions video from me. Nice. And I might see if I can con the wonderful <laughs> Megan into playing with me and giving her opinion on the video as well, but we'll see. I haven't had that we'll discussion see. yet, so don't hold me to it. <laughs> okay. I would, I would hope so, but yeah, I won't hold you to it. <laughs> Sarah, thanks for joining me. Well, thanks so much for having us on. We really and- appreciate it. Tell Will, thanks for for having a conversation with me as well. It was awesome talking to him. I definitely will. All right. Again, everybody, February 16th, 2015, be on the lookout. And again, I will be talking to more people very soon. Thanks for listening. Thank you for checking out a United Geeks Network family member. If you enjoyed it and are looking for other online media with a geek culture slant, head over to unitedgeeksnetwork.com where you will find Geeks of the North, a hobby and gaming podcast from LaBelle Province, discussing all aspects of the miniature wargaming hobby. The United Geeks Network. You can broadcast your geekiness at unitedgeeksnetwork.com.